there's a teaching of the Buddha in the Anglican Nikaya, the numerical discourses, and um, there are two or three, but uh, one of them is in the Book of Threes, where the Buddha talks about three different ways of observing the Upasita, which is the, the observing, say, of the full moon, of the new moon, and basically a way of um, spending time, like in America we might call the Sabbath, the uh, sacred day. And um, the first one he talked about is uh, the way the cow herd celebrates uh, or observes. And he says, the way a cow herd does it, he says, today's the cows grazed in such and such a place and drank water in such and such a place. That's what they pay attention to. And uh, he says, so too, someone observing the observing state might say, well, today I ate this and I ate that kind of food. I ate a meal of this kind. And tomorrow I will eat this kind of, you know how that could be. <laughs> Um, I have a cousin who said she, she's always thinking about the next meal after she eats, as soon as she's finished with the meal, it's like, what's the next meal? Um, if you're a, 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 the person in charge of the, the cooking in your household, you find you have to you have to think about these things, right? But um, I think this is just a way of saying, you know, there's this way that we are often caught up in the world and what needs to be done in the world or what we're interested in is worldly pleasure and satisfaction. And the second um, way that he talks about it is uh, about another sect and how their, their way of doing things is, is not really helpful to inspire goodness. And um, well, I'm not even going to go into that part, but I'm really interested in this. And it's the third way that it talks about, which is really intended to bring up joy, a way of reflecting that actually helps us to be um, happy and at ease. And um, I think for our culture, this is extremely important. Um, I remember when I, years ago, I first learned about this practice. Well, I'll see that straight here. So, what this is, is six recollections. Six um, different things that we recall and think about. How many of you are familiar with this teaching? Okay. Good. I got kind of a fresh audience. <laughs> Um, these six recollections uh, are very popular in Buddhist countries in terms of ways to really lift up the heart. And um, the first three are, as I mentioned before, we did the chanting, the recollection of the Buddha, the recollection of the Dhamma, the recollection of the Sangha. And so, like we chanted, when we really think about the Buddha's the qualities of the Buddha, you take that in and use it as a meditation, then you're really um, 
you know, putting some attention on the fact that the Buddha was enlightened um, and that he really knew all these different realms. He understood how the Dhamma works. He really saw it all for himself directly. This is something that I think is helpful to realize. The Buddha didn't make up a philosophy and present it. He didn't design a religion. He saw this for himself and he's reporting on his experience. He's not asking us to believe in something without evidence or faith. I mean, not faith is an important component, but it's not blind faith. It's a, it's, it's really taking in what he tells us based on his direct experience and then developing the mind to the point where we know that for ourselves through our own direct experience. But as we um, lift up uh, our own hearts, uh, bring joy into our practice, which is a very essential component. You'll see joy listed in many places in these progressions of how to move towards enlightenment or some, or even to move towards uh, concentration. And really um, take in what the Buddha did and how he taught and what an incredible gift that is. And this is, you know, as one develops uh, confidence in the Buddha, this can be a really heart-lifting, joyful reflection. And then the same with the Dhamma. Um, I think I'll read a little from this sutta for you. He says, um, let's go back to where it starts. He says that the way in the Noble One's discipline, the way to observe the Uposita, is a way that cleanses the mind and is done through effort exertion. And he says it's uh, the first reflection is re- recollecting that Tathagata, the blessed light is an arahant, perfectly enlightened, accomplished in true knowledge and conduct, fortunate nor of the world, and surpassed trainer of persons to be tamed, teacher of devas and humans, the enlightened one, the blessed one. And when the noble disciple recollects the Tathagata, her mind becomes placid, calm, joy arises, and the defilements of the mind are abandoned. And he uses a simile and says, it's in the same way as one's head when its dirty is cleansed by effort. And how do you cleanse your head? You use paste, clay, water, and appropriate effort. Wouldn't you love to cleanse your head that way? Cave <laughs> <Okay>, shampoo. <laughs> little effort. 
And then um, he talks about reflecting on the Dhamma. The Dhamma well expounded is well expounded by the Blessed One, directly visible, immediate, inviting one to come and see, applicable to the personally it is to be a personally personally experienced by the wise. And in this way, the mind becomes placid, joy arises, and the defilements are abandoned. So the mind is cleansed through this effort. And it says, just like the body being cleansed, bathing with a bathing brush, lime powder, water, and appropriate effort. Aren't you glad we have all these lovely products? <laughs> What's interesting to me, though, is we look back at you know, what people were doing 2,500 years ago, and we're still doing the same things in mind. We still have the same defilements to clean up. Do you know what defilements are? Greed, hatred, aversion. The Sangha, reflecting on the Sangha, the Blessed One's disciples practicing in a good way, practicing a straight way, practicing a true way, the proper way. Four pairs of persons, eight types of individuals. So this is the enlightened Sangha. It used to be that the word Sangha was only about those who Either if you could use it as a term to refer to monastic sangha, but also to those who have reached some level of enlightenment. When the Buddha talked about his whole, um, like all his followers, uh, he talked about the four assemblies. And today we're using the word a little bit differently, but this is a reflection on what it's like when people get to the point of having um, enlightenment of some, some level of awakening. And when we reflect on um, that reality, it helps us to recognize how accessible that is for us. So if you catch yourself thinking, well, that just seems so far away, remind yourself that it's right here. This is what is the natural result of the practice. And uh, it's like um, cleaning a dirty cloth with exertion. Oh, for doing your laundry, you use heat, light, cow dung, water, and appropriate effort. <laughs> I think it didn't have cheer or <laughs> But the, the, these are the first three. Um, I don't really chant this on a regular basis. I did this morning, but I'm really interested in talking about the other three. Because I think this is where we've really, um, I mean, the first three are incredibly important. But especially in our culture, I think we have um, a great opportunity to reflect on these other three. And the, the first one in that is to reflect on our virtue. 
Um, and then being resolved because it's long. So, a noble disciple recollects her own virtuous behavior or his own virtuous behavior as unbroken and flawless, unblemished, unblushed, being praised by the wise, ungrasped, leading to concentration. Reflect on your virtuous behavior and the mind becomes placid, joy arises, and defilements of the mind are abandoned. Now, when you read this, you may think, well, my behavior is not unblushed, unmodeled. Um, so I feel like that's where we have to really recognize how this path is gradual. And it's really like all, in all kinds of places in the sutta, you see that the Buddha encourages us to look at whatever it is that we've, we've done that's, that's good and reflect on that. Encourage the mind, encourage the heart with that. And this is the, the story I waited until now for. It's like when I um, was traveling in Asia and I first learned about this practice that's common in Sri Lanka, where people write down the good things that they do in a book. And all their life. You know, when they've been kind, when they've given to people, when they've offered things, when they've, you know, helped um, their virtues. And then when they're dying, a friend or a relative reads that out, out loud. And it brings the mind to this place of happiness. And so I got a book. An empty journal, right? And I couldn't think of anything. And I really find this is so typical in our culture. We downplay the things that we do that are good. And we're very focused on what we, the mistakes we make or the ways that we have to improve. And I know that we, we think that that's going to help us be better. But actually, I think it, it brings a, a tightness and a bit of a sadness. Whereas if we reflect on our goodness, it blossoms and the heart becomes lighter. So when the Buddha says that this brings joy, I find that it's true. And it took time for me to be able to actually think of things that I, I mean, most of us are doing kind things all the time, every day. And there's always opportunities to do more. And it doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. Those are also kind actions. We count those. Um, the further we develop on the path, the more we see that there's, if we don't, if we kind of um, realize that this idea of self is fading away, then the kindness we express towards ourselves and the kindness we express towards others becomes the same thing. 
I think the selfishness fades. And it's just us. So he says... We, we reflect on the good things that we do. So like at night before you go to sleep or sometime in meditation, reflecting on how you keep in precepts. You're not intentionally killing, not intentionally taking anything that isn't given or stealing, not misusing sexual energy or lying we do drugs or alcohol, and then if there's something that we do, and we think, well, that wasn't very good, <laughs> we just, okay, I won't do that again. Do my best to avoid doing that again, and let it go. Instead of going over it again and again in the mind. He says this cleanses the mind and brings up joy. Just like a dirty mirror can get cleansed using oil and ashes and cloth. We become, the mind becomes calm and joy arises and the defilements are abandoned. Let me tell you what the last two are and I want to hear from you. Your thoughts. Um, the next one is to think about generosity in the same way. So there's there's virtue and there's generosity, and you know I like I said I put you you put all of that in the book, whether it's a physical book or a mental book, right? And reflect on it, and the. And the Buddha recommended that we reflect on it, um, thinking about those people we admire and how we're like them. And the sixth one is to think about the devas, heavenly beings, and how they pass away from here and they appear for reborn in the heaven realms. And how that happened because of your virtuous behavior and your goodness. And um, there's a section where he talks about, you know, their learning, their generosity, their wisdom. And when they passed away here, you were reborn there. And you reflect upon the fact that you have the same virtuous behavior, learning, generosity, and wisdom. And then the mind becomes peaceful, joy rises, defilements are abandoned. So, what do you think? Is this thing accessible or just? So what, out there, or something that you think would be good for your practice? Is it hard to 
um, acknowledge your own goodness? Do you feel happy when you do? What do you think? Um, why do you think the Buddha said so often that we should try to bring joy into the mind? I put it. Yes, behind Emily. Yes, you. Um, to me, it, it seems that it's suggested because so much of what we do or how we view the mind, at least for myself, is constricted and, and tight. Mm-hmm. And so by creating joy, it creates more spaciousness in the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very, it uses the word joy in so many sequences where it's like, you know, the joy, the happiness, then the tranquility comes, and then you can, you know, the mind becomes easily concentrated. So it's like how we um, move towards deeper practice. What are you going to say, Emily? Um, a Dharma friend and I have been doing daily gratitude emails back and forth, and I think this is maybe a fairly common practice in Dharma circles, but it's been really powerful over the years just to see the way it trains the mind to move towards gratitude instead of its other more habitual, unwholesome ways that it has tended to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's just daily, you know, making the mind or just training the mind in that direction. And it's interesting too. There's still um, I feel a little self-conscious when I write things about like particular good things that I do. Is that a little selfish? Or, you know, so it's like, yeah, just working with that edge and, and that practice, too. But feeling the real benefit of that, like really taking in my own goodness and the things, like you say, I mean, it's like every day there's these things that are so easy for me to just bypass, you know, but we all are doing little things every day. Yeah. We're uncomfortable with Acknowledging <coughs> our own goodness. And I can tell you from my own experience, it's so important to get comfortable with it. And it, and it is an ego thing. It's like the ego, it's a humbling thing, actually. You know, you just start to see how. Um, Good conduct needs to be encouraged in this mind that it is my responsibility to train. And um, it's it's so much um, a part of sort of the wider web. It helps that mind become so much better at doing good. Um, and when we're happy, we're so much more capable, able, available to look at others. And, um, yeah. 
long for Pasano and told him that my mind was dark and crabby when I would sit down and he recommended the six recollections to integrate that into my practice and uh, so that's been my main you know, preparatory practice ever since and uh, one of the uh, one of the sweetest results is in uh, recollecting my own truth, goodness or generosity before I meditate uh, it feels so good that I'm, I have that motivation then to keep it up the next day mm-hmm. you know and yeah. sort of if I ha- if I keep saying the same thing over and over then I'm like oh I, <laughs> I need to step it up I can't keep re- brightening the mind with this thing from last Thursday you know <laughs> I gotta get out there and, uh, so for me it's been a real impetus to keep that goodness flowing mm-hmm. did you hear that in the back mm-hmm. yeah I mean, when we're in this place where we feel so bad about ourselves that we can't think of anything good about ourselves, I think getting a friend to tell us is good. (laughs) But sometimes maybe that writing things down and then looking back at them is also good. This is delusion. Um... Well, we have that same thing about others when we when we can we can't think of one good thing to say about someone. This delusion, because there are there are good things, and when we are madly in love and all we can see is the good, that's also a delusion. <laughs> um, but you know, to be able to begin to be really honest about ourselves is so important. It's so important for our practice, for our training. Then we can see the places where we need to do some work, and we can see the places where there have been fruits, where it's blossoming, where we're kind, where we're helpful, where we're generous, where we're virtuous. Where we've developed learning and wisdom, and it's so encouraging. That's fine. The sixth recollection mm-hmm. um, may only be an issue for me, but when I I start thinking of little floaty things, when I think of Davis, and it's just not a very practical uh, approach. And then it goes quickly to, oh, well, never mind, there's five other ones. <laughs> thinking, well, let's, let's work with this just a little bit. So when you mentioned virtue, generosity, and wisdom as the result and the product and the thing that the days have accumulated, maybe, I mean, is, um, is that a way for maybe, for example, to think of not myself, but maybe others in my life who have those three, three uh, wonderful characteristics. I mean, I'm trying to, mm-hmm. I'm trying to come up with some kind of embodiment, I guess, for yeah, or something that or I some, some grab, step. get a hold of. That some step that's is. accessible. Yeah. Okay, so actually, the text is the noble disciple re- recollects the faith 
in virtuous behavior, learning, generosity, and wisdom in him or herself and in those deities. And it's like, you know, really, um, yes, I think we can use other people that we admire and we can use the Buddha. And if you read the suttas, you read a lot about devas. And the devas are in there. He's teaching the devas, gods. I like the Pali better. Uh, sometimes, um, sometimes our translations have a little too much to do Christian overlay for me. <laughs> Carries other stuff into it. But the devas are appear in the in the suttas uh, all over the place. You know, a, a deva will come to the Buddha in the night and light up the whole forest and ask a question or tell the, deva, the, the Buddha about something. And, um, you know, after Anathapindaka died, then this young deva appeared to the Buddha and it was Anathapindaka after his death. And we're all going to die. Do you think about what it's going to be like after this? We may as well be ready. It's pretty important. And if you live a virtuous life, you could come back as a human being, or you could go to the deeper realms. There's a bunch of them, a whole list. Um, Ajahn Punadamo, who's in Canada, has uh, written a book about cosmology, but he's also recently been doing some guided meditations on the devas. If you look at his website, you can find it. And uh, just, you know, it can kind of help get into, like, oh, what is that all? Okay, so I mentioned the word that people have a lot of trouble with in our culture, the rebirth word. Where are you on that? a little bit more the last topic but um, I've been um, told to do a year of metta practice by Ajahn Sona and so I'm 10 months into it and I decided really early on that I was mostly just going to do it for myself for a year and then we would see what happens after yeah. that and I it's been really helpful in a lot of ways but one of the reasons I think we need to like continue to bring joy up is because I can I could see my aversion in just the way oh, okay. I say the phrases sometimes where I'm noticing I'm going like may no harm come to me you know like it's very unjoyful and um, kind of eeyore like and um, and so and then I'll try like look at just a different tone of voice in my mind like you know, harm come to me. Like, what if I were saying it for someone else? Yeah. And with a lightness to a it. Child. And it, yeah, and it makes a, a really huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even just my own inner tone of voice yeah. has been useful to work with in terms of like joy or trying to add more joy. This is a very good point. There was someone who told me she was a social worker. And it was her job to answer calls from people who were needing some kind of social assistance. And she told me that when that person is hard of hearing, 
then she would be really using a loud voice to talk to them over the phone. She would get off the phone and she would feel angry. <laughs> and she said it had nothing to do with this person on the other end who needed this help. It was just by exercising this loud voice. And it brought up that feeling. Now, of course, this is all conditioned. We're products of conditioning. All things in this world are conditioned. And it's interesting to see that we can change the way we speak and it will change the way we feel sometimes. So, yeah. And then noticing that there's anger in there. And developing ways of being present with that anchor and helping to resolve it by not pushing it down and just letting it express without coming out into actions and speech. So, if you're at a point, let me put it this way. Like I said, the Buddha reported on his experience that Dhamma is everywhere. You see Dhamma expressed in all religions, one way or another, in some shape or form. Uh, people who've never heard about Buddhism. They're in contact with them all, so it's just the way it is. And the Buddha saw it so completely, so clearly. Um, He saw his own past lives. He saw the lives of others and how they passed away and how karma works. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about karma. Um, Someone asked me the other day, what is karma besides blaming the victim? And I'm kind of like, that's a misunderstanding of karma. And, And it's an understandable one. Because so often people can fall into, well, that person who has that misfortune, misfortune must have done something really bad. Or if some misfortune comes to me, I must have done something bad. And that, that is um, a misapprehension of karma. Not because um, there aren't results of our actions. There are, but the first the first layer is so often what we think is bad may not be bad. We don't really know. And then because there are so many other factors that come into it. So we're born in a human form and we have human bodies and it's natural to get sick. It's natural to die. Accidents can happen without any kind of relationship to karma. 
The Buddha said, not everything is karma. And the karma is complicated. So it's like when we are like, oh, well, this caused this. It's way too simplistic. Oh, and if this happened, then this something happened over there. Way too simplistic. And the, the proper way to think about karma is that there are really reasons why you think the way you think. There are reasons why you like what you like and don't like what you don't like. And if we knew where this energy stream that we're dealing with in this moment has been, we would have, and what it's going through, we would have so much more compassion for ourselves, and we'd have so much more compassion for others. And then we would have much more freedom to observe the whole um, experience of whatever is happening in the present moment and make clear decisions about where to go forward with that. Does that make sense? Maybe. I think just beware when we think that karma is um, some kind of judgment or sentence. Um, because there's a result of good karma. It's such a, it's, aren't we all such a mixture? This is a realm of the dark and light together. And it's the the suffering that gives us the opportunity to uh, free ourselves. That's why the Buddha said, when there's dukkha, first noble truth, acknowledge that and turn towards it, not away. So, I hope that um, as we develop more joy and we intentionally notice when is my heart not joyful and can I bring something in that lifts it up and it gives us the freedom to acknowledge more of what's really going on inside and more um, strength to accept that, allow it, and comfort it, and move on beyond it. In addition to bringing joy to the mind that allows it to become calm, that allows the body to become calm, and easily concentrated, and open to insight.
your child that you're you're moving into it, you know, that teenage. Yeah, I'm almost headed for middle school. Yeah, they yeah, are. You are. Yeah, and, and you're not feeling prepared. Yeah, you're not prepared. And so, so many of these students, I think he's giving them some um, some happiness, that you're saying, because they hated math. <laughs> I teach math. So anyway, but so it's just, um, yeah, it's interesting to see him, or, yeah, it was a podcast that I watched with him. So he's hopeful, and he's giving that to those students, I think, that hopefulness, the yeah, joy. The joy. And it's, and it's without a, oh, you should know better by now. You should know more. It's clearly, it's completely like, this is totally okay. Let's do what we know, what we can learn how to do and just move forward. That is so much the training of the Dhamma. If we start thinking, oh, I've been practicing this for a long time. I shouldn't get angry. I shouldn't feel this feeling. I shouldn't, whatever it is. Like I just say, I must have said a million times, but this is the way it is. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> right now, it's like this. Um, and to be able to make it's okay that it's like this. There are actually good reasons why it's like this. And he's taking them back to kindergarten. Not everything, not all. We don't have to all go back. You know what I mean? For all the skills, but some of the skills need, they need to go back and learn those. Yeah. And it's kind of like us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It can be really, you know, sharp in some ways, you know, on it. And in other ways, we need to have a little more nurturing. Thank you. Yes. I think you got it. Sometimes I can get hung up on, like, the semantics of, like, like the word joy, from my experience in our culture, can kind of mean New Year's Eve or mm-hmm. kind of a manic, selfish kind of thing. Or like, I just, I got, I just found a thousand dollars. Or like, and you know, mm-hmm. as kind of like, you don't have that, I have that. And so to bring joy into my practice, sometimes I'm like, I have to search for like, is it the joy you have when you're with a puppy, or is it the, you know, which joy are we talking about? And to have a real concrete example of that as a reference that is a really good question because the Buddha made this distinction between the worldly pleasure and the unworldly pleasure and worldly pleasure pleasure that we get from the sense gratification or you know finding the thousand dollars or could you hear him in the back yeah um that is not the kind of joy we're talking about. We're talking about a joy that's really, um, you know, that joy of when you do give something to someone, maybe something they didn't expect, you know, whatever the conditions are that really lift the heart, that make you feel really good. Uh, or even hearing about other people doing it. Um, a relative of mine was telling a story about someone who bought, who did, um, these people had a garage sale, and they bought an old chair. And then the person who bought it thought, why is this thing so heavy? And he opens up the cushion, 
of the chair and it's got $20,000 in it. And what happened was the like the grandparents died and the grandchildren were selling the old stuff and they didn't know. And then I thought, oh, what did he do? And my relative said, and he was a pretty good guy. He went back to them and gave them the money. <laughs> and I went, oh! <laughs> it's like even hearing things that bring up joy about virtue and goodness, right? And to to remind ourselves of that. And that, that kind of joy, I would put in the category of that unworldly kind of joy. It's not about me and mine getting something. Um, it's about, uh, like the Buddha said, these thoughts of renunciation, these thoughts of goodwill, these thoughts of, of non-cruelty, you can think that night and day, and it won't hurt anybody. It's that kind. curious about your thoughts as far as for a layperson who you know, works Monday through Friday, doesn't have easy access to a monastery, um, what might be some things that are helpful that kind of set that day aside as being special. And mm-hmm. Are you trying to do it on conventional Mondays? Well, that would be a part of the question. I, yes, I have been, and that poses challenges, but so does putting it on some other day. So yeah. open to either. Yeah. I mean, I know people who do all kinds of different things. Like people who don't eat that for midday, keep the eight precepts all day, and um, that kind of thing. And I think those are useful things to experiment with. But they may not fit your life very well. If you're working long hours, maybe not the right thing. But I think... Um, there are some really specific things you can do. I wish I had my phone here because I could pick it up and I could talk about how this enlightened nun that we visited in Thailand said, that's Mara. <laughs> we could decide, you know, except for work or Dhamma, you don't use that on the opposite day. <laughs> um, we can decide to just really um, incorporate some whatever aspect of Dhamma practice that would lift bar on that day, whether it's study or it's walking meditation or it's walking in nature using a particular reflection maybe or the word tone or something as you're walking. Um, you know, making plans to get together with other Dhamma friends and discussing Dhamma, sharing stories, writing writing about Dhamma for yourself or maybe something to share with others. Um, but, you know, I think if we do want to sort of mark the day and then using these kinds of reflections, 
Thank you for this one. Um, maybe setting aside a little time to really think about your own goodness. Yes, please. Um, I have a strain, you know, joyful or turn negative into positive. I can give one example that about a year ago, someone was stopping the car too close to the walkway, and then she's getting there. But I block the crosswalk a little mm-hmm. bit. Not quite, but she can touch my car. She's banging on my car. So out of compassion, I come out and say, are you okay? Next thing you know, she's kind of thinking, oh, she's strange. She, I just touched her car a little bit. She get mad at me. But actually, I was more compassionate toward her. And then she said, leave me alone. I need to go pick up my kid from school. I'm late. Well, let me take you to take there. Out of compassion, I took her to school to pick up her child. And that night, she called her insurance that I hit her. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so... But all I have is compassion. I'm thinking either like it. I feel a little betrayed or, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, she's really need that much money. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, instead of being angry, I being like compassionate toward her. And that's good for my heart. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's I, you know, that's how I'm thinking to myself, you know. Instead of being angry, just like, wow, I hope when you get the money from insurance, you know, of course, I had to go through this mind for a while to to try to find positive things. I'm hoping that she really needs the money, she's doing this, and hoping that she will use that money, which is insurance. My my insurance might go up a little bit, but (laughs) it's my insurance that's that pay her, and maybe she will make a difference. To her child, maybe yeah. afford to pay for her school right. or college fund. So I'm kind of make my mind think that I'm not making, you know, train my mind to think positive and compassion instead because Buddha teach us to have compassion for the yeah. them and which is compassion for me <laughs> and compassion for also the people that act not good. So yeah. that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Yes, and I don't know if everyone can hear her, the, the story, but when we feel like we're being treated unfairly, it's so easy to fall into anger, resentment, fear, and to really, I think it's very important, like I said before, to turn towards those feelings and acknowledge them. But not you not think the things that still come up and keep them burning, and instead to work them through, as it sounds like you did, and come to that place of peacefulness in ourselves, realizing that there's always going to be people with these problems as long as we're in samsara, until greed, hatred, and delusion are no longer around. And that is not your problem. Somebody else, SEP, someone else's problem. 